I am super excited to share with you today about a group of people who heard about Jesus, believed in him, gave up their idol worship, and then began to tell others about the gospel message all in a span of about three weeks. And within a year, they had a loving, growing, and working church for God. It's that little church down the street. Good job, guys. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, no. But first, before I tell you any more details, I have to admit, admit something, and it's this. If the reason is good enough, I can get more done in four hours than I can in two weeks. Who else is with me on this? If the reason is inspiring enough, uh, somehow I can shift out of second and third uh, gear everyday modes and into like sixth gear because there is nothing like fresh inspiration. Like on regular days or months, uh, I'm fine with eating typical American food, burgers, pastas, casseroles. I'm totally good with it. I'm going to order extra fries even. Uh, but when a reunion comes up or a wedding comes up or if I'm planning a beach vacation, which we don't plan, uh, suddenly it's like water and salads every day. Maybe a few almonds, right? Because you want to look trim. You want to get, get rid of that bloat. Okay, uh, but what about this one? I wonder if any of you are like this. When you've invited company over or you learn that someone wants to stop by, what do you do? So if I'm hosting people for dinner, I feel like I have to clean out the pantry. I have to clean out the garage. Like, what if they want to see my Christmas decor or John's Husky baseball gear? Like, it's just a real thing. Uh, this is super funny. Last year, I hosted, we hosted a wedding, these two young newlyweds, at our house last year. And I worked my butt off to clean the inside and the outside. And we moved into this house, and we hadn't quite fin finished unpacking. And this house came with this ginormous play playroom above the garage. It's kind of off to the side. No one plays in there because the kids think it's scary. So I was like, you know what? Everything just goes in here. Just put it all in there. Parts of beds, boxes, everything. So have a good night. Where do I find the wedding party at the end of the night? In my messy playroom. Proof that I don't have it all together. Um, and then another one, I was super blessed to be able to host the Lakes High School teachers at our house. This summer, they wanted professional development day, and Angela comes up to me and just says, hey, uh, can we be at your house? We want to look at the lake. And so I was like, sweet. And I was, it was they're just going to be outside, so they're not going to even be inside. And so what I, but I had to go and buy new tiki torches and tropical plants, and I had to create this little vacation vibe for them. So it's a real thing. I know that I can light a fire under my bum and get weeks worth of chores done in three hours. I can change my everyday normal behavior. I can snap out of my second gear habits if the reason is important enough, if I feel that sense of urgency. So here's where I'm going with all of this. Does Jesus's return affect your behavior? Does the hope you have of his return change how you see others and how you interact with them? Knowing how short our lives are, do you feel any sense of urgency in your life knowing that Jesus is coming back? I have to admit, I really struggle with this because it's been like 2,000 years. It's been a long time. And every generation, I'm sure, has wondered, is Jesus going to return in my lifetime? Will he come back when I am alive? Well, today we're going to be looking at the book of 1 Thessalonians and the Church of the Thessalonians. And just for context, Paul is the author that, make, that writes these two letters. He receives a vision to go to Macedonia on his second missionary journey, and he goes to Thessalonica, which is um, a, a capital city in a district of Macedonia. Paul preaches at a synagogue for three weeks, 
and a group of Thessalonians received his teachings very well. And Paul established a church there. They were mostly Gentiles. But Paul had to quickly flee Thessalonica because of the persecution. And a few months later, he sends Timothy back to be with this small new Thessalonian church to remind them to persevere through suffering and affliction. And he wanted to remind them that Christians are destined for this. They are destined to experience persecution. So after Timothy is there with this church for a bit, he goes back to Paul, to where he is in Corinth, and he's updating them on the Thessalonian church. And he's probably explaining to them all of the issues that this church is facing, the questions that they have. And he says, they're just trying to live out their faith amongst the persecution. So upon hearing from Timothy, Paul writes the letters to the first and second, he writes the books of first and, Thess first and second Thessalonians. And largely, 1 Thessalonians is a book about uh, gratitude and acknowledgement for their behavior and encouragement, encouragement. And there is an appeal there today, and we're going to talk about that. But he's thankful for them, for their faith and their hope and their love. Let's look at this verse, this first verse, 1 Thessalonians 2. And so we too constantly thank God that when you received God's message that you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human message, but as it truly is, God's message, which is at work among you who believe. For you became imitators, brothers and sisters, of God's churches in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, because you too suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did, in fact, from the Jews. So you see that their faith is working despite their afflictions. But the other main component of 1 Thessalonians is that this is referencing the uh, Christ's second coming. It's the first letter written that references Christ's second coming. All five chapters of 1 Thessalonians represent Jesus coming back. There are over 20 references in this letter. Let's read the first reference. This is 1, 9 through 10. For people everywhere report how you welcomed us and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, our deliverer from the coming wrath. I love this. The Holy Spirit is doing a mighty work in this church. They're waiting in hope, but if you read between the lines of scripture, you can see that this church has some questions. Timothy probably told Paul that they were wondering about the dead. People have died and people are dying. Dying. They have questions about the what ifs. Will these people miss out on Jesus's return? So let's look at what Paul says about this, writes about this, uh, 4, 13 through 14. Now we do not want you to be uninformed brothers and sisters and about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so we also believe that God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep as Christians. Paul is informing them and he is reassuring them that those who have already died will not miss out on Jesus' return. So along with this issue of wondering about the dead, another issue has come up in this church. It was the issue of idleness. Why was this new little church struggling with a bit of idleness? Well, commentaries are going to say that some, for many different reasons, but some of them were coming out of a pagan lifestyle. And maybe some of them were riding in first and second gear because they thought Jesus would be coming back any day for them. Like, what's the point of continuing on with the daily grind, the daily toil, when, Christ, when soon Christ is going to bring us back and we'll be in heaven? So Paul addresses these issues in chapter 4 in a couple of different places. It seems that in chapter 4, verse 10b, Paul might be reminding them to keep at it. That in fact, because Christ is coming back, they should use their time and their life in a way that honors God. It says, 
but we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more, to aspire to lead a quiet life, to attend to your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. In this way, you will live a decent life before outsiders and not be in need. So he's encouraging them to live their everyday, to live out their, how to live out their everyday lives. But he also addresses the issue, issues they're facing using this term called perusia. Okay, perusia is this Greek term found in 1 Thessalonians 4.15. You can see where it is on the slide in the verse. To them, this would have been a very familiar term. And this term is, means it is about the second coming or the arrival of a, uh, of a person, of, uh, uh, an official or one with authority. For example, the emperor and all of the events that surround this. So let me try to explain, explain um, this. The emperor, this is a history says, it's really unique. The emperor came to Thessalonica twice. And so when he would come, he would come and he would assess the land and he would offer a financial gift. Like, I see that you need this, so I'm going to give you this much amount of money. And so the way that the city would behave was that they would want to use this money wisely. They would want, when he comes back to say, what have you done with the money that I gave you? They want to prove that they stewarded his financial gift well. So Paul was trying to connect what they understood about the emperor's perusia, about how the city behaved, how the city worked. He wanted to connect that to Christ's perusia, to the second coming of Christ. And he is also saying that Christ is our authority. He is our authority. He wanted them to consider how would they show Christ at his return what they did to steward the gifts that Christ has given them. And we know these gifts. It's the gift of salvation. It's freedom from sin and strength to give up idol worship. And it's the instant hope that we have for his return and the eternity we have with him. Like non-Christians don't have this. They don't like the idea that Christ could come back and cut our lives short. They don't want their lives to be cut short. But when you're saved, you have this hope and this interest, this desire for Christ to come back in our lifetime. Amen. Wouldn't you want him to come back today? I want to see my king. But Christians do. We have this, this hope. We look forward to the day that our king returns with great anticipation. And that anticipation should affect the way we live our, live our lives and the way we relate to others. You know, Redeemed Church has a lot in common with that Thessalonian church. We are a faithful church desiring to spread the gospel. They gave up their idol worship, and we too desire to turn to God. And we know within his presence, all things can be restored. This is our, our uh, mantra, if you will. Um, and we know that his strength gives us help to worship him alone. Maybe we don't struggle with idleness, but maybe we struggle with how can we as individuals, how can we as a church do the work of the kingdom, to spread the gospel and to share the hope we have of his return. So here we are. It's the start of Alpha season, and we start in three days. Interestingly enough, about a month before I began preparing, diving into the Alpha training materials, I was one of those days where I was riding around in my Jeep, and I'm like, Lord, I want to go home, and I want to spend time with you. Where in your word do you want me to go? And I do have these books that just kind of come to me kind of regularly, and I'm like, nope, kind of like swipe right. Nope, not that one. Not that one. And Thessalonians came to mind, which doesn't come into my brain often. So I was like, that's from the Lord. So Thessalonians comes to mind, and I'm reading it, and verses stick out to me. And so I'm like, yes, Lord, pray into it. And then the very next day, I go into the training materials, and what do I find out? That Alpha course is based 
out of First Thessalonians. Like the mission and purpose of Alpha are found, the verses are found in First Thessalonians. So let, let's look at these verses. It's uh, two, uh, chapter 2. For you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, about our coming to you. It has not proven to be purposeless. Just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we declare it, not to please people but God who examines our hearts. For we never appeared with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness, nor to seek glory from people either from you or from others. Instead, we became like little children among you, like a nursing mother caring for her own children. With such affection for you, we were happy to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our lives, because you had become dear to us. In these verses, we can see Paul was revealing to them, and this scripture is therefore revealing to us the how. How he as a leader stewarded his life and his calling. How he approached relationships with people that God put along his path, and he, was, he went on a lot of journeys. Paul is telling them what works and what mindset to have. So I know we're already halfway over this, uh, this message, but the title of my message today is The Alpha Mindset. Now, the ultimate goal of Alpha is to introduce to the people that come, we're going to introduce to them Jesus Christ, to God, our Creator, to the Holy Spirit. We're going to introduce the Bible. We're going to introduce prayer. And we're going to introduce them to the people that come in and serve. It's the same exact goals that Paul had. But it's the how that we do this that is so important. Let me remind you of the Great Commission. And I know the majority of you know this, but it's so good to hear. We need to hear these things and be reminded of our calling. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the calling for all followers of Christ. But uh, I think that because of the time that we've all just been through with the pandemic and all of the new norms that it brought, that if we look at how Paul is stewarding his life and his calling, this is actually a very fresh word for us, not just because it's alpha season. Let's look at the verses again real quickly. Uh, instead, we became like little children among you, like a nursing mother caring for her own children. With such affection for you, we were happy to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives because you become dear to us. So how did he fulfill the Great Commission? He, Timothy, and Silas, they shared their lives. They cared for people like a mother done, does with his with her kids. This is extremely strong language. A nursing mother is round-the-clock care. She's attuned to the needs of her babies and her kids, and she's the person to fulfill these needs. New lives in Christ are like new babies. We can see this connection. Now, I don't know what the whole little children part. Maybe they were also like throwing tantrums and making messes and throwing fits uh, when it says they were like little children, but maybe they were whining about who gets to sit in the front seat. I don't know. But I think the part about being little children among them is that they were enjoying the moment. They were listening. They were in, uh, present. They were enjoying the simple things in life with them, with the church in Thessalonia, Thessalonica. But I've, so I've mentioned the Alpha course, and for maybe those watching online, it's really uh, an eight to 10 week course where people come together, they eat, and we talk about the big issues of faith. 
in a safe spot. It was created, Alpha was created in the 70s, and over decades of, of implementing this, they have found that two things make the Alpha course successful, love and hospitality. And so this is the mindset. Alpha is all about sharing God's love through friendship, listening and laughing, and sharing your life with the guests that come, and respecting them and loving them. When we look at examples um, in scripture for love, they're endless, and hospitality, they're endless. And pretty exciting, we're starting a new sermon series next week, and um, it is going to be over 1 Corinthians uh, chapters 12 through 14. So I'm going to skip over the love stuff right now. But when we look at hospitality in scripture, it is inviting people. It is eating dinner with people. It's opening up your home and visiting other people. It's offering a place to stay for a bit. It's greeting people. It's anticipating the needs of guests and strangers. It's looking after the sick. In fact, the word hospitality comes from the Greek word philozenia, and this means love of strangers. There are at least seven instances in scripture where Paul writes about how he was treated hospitably, who and what they did. So I want you to think of hospitality like an assist in basketball, right? You throw the ball, the other person scores, and together you have helped earn the team two or three more points. Hospitality equips other people in their calling. I mean, the kindness that allowed for the Son of God to be born in a manger safely was through hospitality. Jesus says, whenever you share with the saints in their needs, you do it for him. Matthew 25, 35 through 40 says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters you did for me. Hospitality is the, one of the defining marks of Christianity. Romans 12 talks about that. There's an entire industry dedicated to hospitality. We all know what a, how a good hotel aims to be hospitable as possible. That's not this. They accept payment. Now, hospitality is not a spiritual gift, but serving is a spiritual gift. And hospitality is all about serving others. You might have been, you might know someone or someone has told you, you have the gift of hospitality. Like you're the hostess with the mostess. But all believers are called to be hospitable. And um, when we step into using our gifts, we step into it with faith. When we step into it, the Holy Spirit then equips you to continue in it. Because hospitality is costly it's risky, it's time-consuming, it's the nitty-gritty, dirty work that no one, you want to do it for one time, that's great, invite someone over for dinner. But to continue, especially looking after the sick, this requires supernatural strength from our Holy Spirit. The Bible says, and I referenced this last week with the caregivers, and we prayed over them, Lenore prayed over the caregivers so beautifully, that when we refresh others, we too become refreshed. Now, let's talk about their reasons to be hospitable, and I'm going to close with this illustration. You see, the reasons for doing this important work change over time. That's why I think this is a fresh word. Let me show you. Okay. All right, so I have this dumbbell here, and this is going to represent working out, right? We can all believe that this is super important work, strength training, right? 
It's for muscles and for bones. Okay, when I was in my teens, my basketball coach said, work out, do this. I didn't want to, but I had to. So that was my reason, right? In my 20s, I was like, yeah, this is fun. I want to look good. I want to get that six pack. <laughs> Which never happened. <laughs> because at that phase, if you guys remember, it was all about the fat-free era. Like, orange slices, fat-free. Rice, fat-free. So you can eat it all and you won't get fat. <laughs> yeah, it's called carbs. Uh, so yeah, um, but I, I, I looked probably, I wasn't doing too bad. Uh, okay, then 30s, I had my three kids back to back to back. So it was all about like, gotta get that body back, right? <laughs> Which, yeah, no, things are never the same. Um, and then there's the 40s. And this reason is really hard to, um, uh, to accept. But strength training is all about for pain management and mobility. All right, so that's a new reason. Um, uh, and this is a praise report. I, you guys have known if you've been prayed with me, my, I, I, do, I have a pretty bad back. There's actually things going wrong with it. And I've lost a lot of core strength. But thank you to, um, to my, my strength trainer, Darcy. Shout out. We're getting some strength back and my pain is going away. So a little, uh, little hit here if you have back pain. The core. It's all about the core. All right, so anyways, reasons change over time, but this important work is still important to do. So what are some fresh new reasons to be hospitable? Well, the number one reason to be hospitable, what, what are the new reasons as a church even? Yes, it's alpha season, okay? But if you are a Christian, you are a leader. And all Christians are called to lead the way in hospitality. Also, the pandemic has created new norms. It's an urgent need for this. People are isolated. People are disconnected. They are lonely. Maybe social media is their only social life. We're out of the habits of inviting people, hosting people, sharing our lives with others. Anxiety, depression, confusion, financial hardships are on, are on the rise. They've increased. We can see this everywhere. We hear about it. Maybe we're experiencing it even ourselves. And Kurt talked about this last week in his sermon that what people need to know what works when anxiety kicks in. He had so many great insights to share. So look at that next week if you missed it, last week if you missed it. But, you know, I was talking to somebody and, and, and myself included, when you struggle with anxiety, the, the biblical truths are truthful, but it's the people that come alongside you and help you through it and walk you through it that really makes the biggest difference. I have also found the fifth reason is that when you show hospitality to others, the, the very thing that you do can free you up and provide you healing. So when you offer hospitality to others, you yourself, yourself may receive healing. It's the giving of your time. Somehow you have more time in your life. It's the wildest thing. It's, I guess it's the way the kingdom works. And lastly, I made this little graphic to help us remember. Showing hospitality is the doorway to sharing the gospel of Christ. When you initiate and invite others, when you open up your home and prepare a meal for, pe meal, for pe meal for people, when you go out of your way to call and check in, when you give generously of what you have, when you do that time-consuming, nitty-gritty work of sharing your life with others, you are then creating an opportunity to equip other people and to share the gospel and what Jesus has done in your life. Yes, there are places for street evangelism. Yes, there are places for missionary work. But you have to create the opportunity. People have to see that you're authentic. They have to see that Jesus works in your life. They have to spend time with you and see how you talk and how you behave. And you have to, they, hey, the world knows Christians are givers. 
The world knows Christians are supposed to be kind. The world knows that we're supposed to do this and, and do that, but they want to see it and experience it. And then through friendship and through relationship, then an opportunity is created through awareness from the Holy Spirit, keeping alert to their needs and to alert to, is this a conversation where I can say something about how God has changed my life? Then you can slip it in. And it's not manipulative, right? We're not being hospitable just so we can go and be evangelists. No, we're going to receive uh, from this too. We're going to build friendships. It's, 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 it's living life in a, in, a, in a lovely way, like a children among others, right? So now is the time more than ever to use this approach, the alpha mindset, to create an opportunity. It is the doorway because people uh, want, people need our help. And I think he's showing us that in 1 Thessalonians, it is through love and hospitality and building relationships. I know this was a really challenging word for me because I keep a pretty tight schedule and I and I'm, wasn't too much bothered when the world shut down and closed their doors. I'm like, I'll just stay inside with my people that I love and, and my kids and I'll watch some TV and I'll do this, I'll read my Bible. Um, and we're fine for that. But now it's time to open up the doors. Yes. And I think God is challenging me to initiate some things with people, to connect with other people. I don't like being on the phone, I'll tell you that right now, and I'm a terrible texter. But I have to get better at this because um, it's, it's where I'm an example. I need to create some flex space in my heart and in my mind to be a person who leads the way in hospitality, to share more about what I have and to keep an eternity mindset. I was thinking about our lives are so short, right? And we know that there's been 2,000 years. But we also know that we only have our experience. I've only been here for 43 years, right? Uh, Jesus could have been here yesterday. And I wouldn't really know because I haven't experienced the last thousands of years. And so I have to use my life with eternity in mind. I have to use my life wisely because I want to hear him say, good, good job. <laughs> you used your time, used to good, good and faithful servant. Serve, uh, serve um, I want to read this last verse. Um, I didn't type it up, but this is uh, Luke 14, 12. He said, also, Jesus says this. He said also to the man who invited him, when you host a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors so you can be invited by them in return and get repaid. But when you host an elaborate meal, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So this is the last question. Does the hope uh, you have of Jesus' return change how you see others, how you live your life, and how, and how you interact with people. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you, God, um, first of all, that your Holy Spirit is with us and equips us to do all of this. We know that uh, Alpha season is coming upon us, God. We thank you for the work that you have helped us do to lead up to this point. We thank you, God, that you have been uh, making hearts sensitive for the invites that we have been doing. We thank you, uh, Lord, for who you're going to be bringing. We thank you, Lord, for those who you have called to serve in Alpha and those who you've called to pray and just support, to support what's going on in our church. We thank you for all of that. God, we ask for continued strength and provision for all of those people in this church, and there are many who live very hospitable lives. We thank you, God, that you have given them the resources and the time and the heart to help other people. Pray, God, that you give us the awareness 
to see and do something about the needs of others in this church body and in our communities, in our workplaces, in our friendship circles. God, I pray that you give us the awareness to know when you've made an opportunity to share your gospel message and to share what you've done in our lives. Pray, God, that redeemed church and each individual here stewards the time that you've given us well and the resources that you have given us. And I know, Lord, all of us want to hear at your return that we have led faithful, hardworking, and loving lives. It's all for you, Jesus. In your name, amen.